assume the position. <laughs> Hi, I'm Mark. That's Chris. Hey. Hi, Chris. Hiya. This is Unsung. I'm very much in the position. My position is with my knees crossed like an upset primary teacher. Yeah, you do give me upset primary teacher vibes yeah, all the time. The way I'm putting this bit of paper in front of me, it's like I've got uh, results here <laughs> and your parents are not pleased. <laughs> I'm going to need to bring them in to speak to them. Ever happened to you in school? No, I was really a good boy in school. Same. Couple of boring bastards. Couple eh? of boring cunts. <laughs> do we know anyone that's got a more interesting uh, school story than us, maybe? Maybe if you do, send us a voice note. That'd be nice. I think Vicky's probably got some skeletons in her closet. Eh? She won't like that. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> yeah, you're probably right, Vicky probably does have a few skeletons yeah, in her closet. I mean, yeah. Grew up in North Lanarkshire, didn't she? Every single person in North Lanarkshire's got a skeleton <laughs> in their closet. <laughs> that's where they keep them. Yeah. That's all the, all, that's, all, that's the only thing that's in them. There's nothing clothes. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not um, No, I, I was quite bored at school, I think I left yeah, school when I was 15 Did you? Mm-hmm. You kicked it? No, I just was bored <laughs> Really? Uh-huh. That, that You were one of those folk that left You know, it's odd because you can't leave school at that age In a lot of the places that listen to the show I left to go, well, I left to, go to college because uh, my birthday's in December this episode will be coming out on the day of my birthday. Really? Funnily enough, yeah, the 4th of December. Happy birthday, Mark. Um, which is the first time I think that's happened. We can't even happened. sing happy birthday because we'll get, we'll get blocked <laughs> in certain countries. Blocked in Syria. <laughs> and they're having a rough time in Syria and yeah. that's, it's only because of the, this pod. <laughs> um, but So I left at 15, uh, ostensibly to go and do music production. But then I, I, I went there for a week and I was like, nah. Yeah, that was a waste of time. Yeah. So I just sat in the door for a year. I remember the bad boys that left school when they were 15. They were all bad boys. Well, a couple of guys that seemed like they'd been dropped in their head, to be fair, but <laughs> the others were all bad boys. It was just like they couldn't wait to get out the door. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you're watching the clock, waiting for the bell to ring, and that was them pew, out of school. Yeah. Didn't know what they were going to be doing, but kind of guessed where you would see them. Probably being somebody up. Usually sitting at the side of a pound store. True. There you go. Leave school, end up at the side of a pound store. That's a moral of the story. I'm not being reductive or anything. Then 20 years later, you can have a podcast like us. Mm-hmm. I think I've got a populist in me. Mm-hmm. I think I could definitely sort of like spin that kind of rhetoric and wind up the people enough to get into some sort of power. It's <laughs> <laughs> just turning them against folk. That guy outside that pound store, he probably left school when he was 15. He's nay good, doesn't he have any clays. <laughs> or knees <laughs> He's nothing but knees <laughs> um, Anyway We've got a podcast to do, do. Uh, Before we do that It's coming up to Christmas mm. It's been one of those years In fact, you know, it's been one of those days So you'll excuse me, but Can I crack a cold one? That's a cold one cracked That is a, an advance of when we're actually going to crack some cold ones mm. Yeah, no, I'm um, it's been a long day. I needed this. I bombed it up here to get here in time, as you know. Yeah, uh, Christmas is coming up. Um, as you also know, audience, most of you know, uh, we <laughs> I personally took a wee bit of financial hit recently, uh, which <laughs> set back the podcast a little. Um, it has been uh, a little bit difficult recently. So if you feel like uh, subscribing or if you feel like joining the record club or if you feel like donating, um, like the Christmas Pints Fund. So for the Christmas episode, which uh, we're, we're going to do soon and for which we usually get inebriated, we wouldn't mind if you wanted to leave some money behind the bar for us, you know? Yeah, I mean, by the time this episode comes out, I'll have posted our Spotify wrapped 
on our Instagram page and our Facebook page. We've accrued 15% more listeners this year than we had last year, which means there's 15% of our audience-ish, maybe, who don't know what happens in the Christmas special. Oh, that's true, eh? So, um, basically, like Chris says, we get inebriated and we answer your questions. Or maybe they joined because... Because of the Christmas... Yeah. <laughs> the word was going around Syria. Have you heard that Christmas special? <laughs> that's a Syrian accent, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Prove it's no. Prove it's no. Do a Syrian accent. I can. <laughs> even if I you could... cancelled. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, even if you could do a Syrian accent, I would strongly advise against it right now. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm not going to do that <laughs> um, So yes, we do, we get a bit inebriated We answer your funny questions, your mental questions Your poignant questions sometimes And we usually open it up to our subscribers first And Chris has spoken about the Record Club already mm-hmm. um, Which you can find out more about at patreon.com forward slash unsungpod I'm not going to explain that here Because we've done that in every single other episode mm-hmm. this year Yeah um, but you can also donate to us via that portal if you want to just do like a one a one month donation or whatever, a one month subscription and leave. Oh, you do a one off donation. You could just say these guys sound like decent dudes. Uh, let's get them steaming uh, and let them make an arse of themselves yeah. at Christmas. And this pseudo cancel again usually ends up being a three part Christmas episode as we work our way through the questions. It's good. Oh, not because we want to answer the questions, just because we like to take some time off during Christmas. <laughs> yeah, um, but we've actually taken a wee bit more time off than we anticipated this year. So yeah, it wasn't exactly like well. I was almost lying on a beach in the Bahamas Almost, to be fair. you were, almost <laughs> uh, But yeah, anyway, we'll cut to the chase We didn't really mention it, but we do have uh, a little merchandise shop So if you want to get somebody that you know is a fan of the show A little bit like a little branded mug or a t-shirt or a hoodie The hoodies are pretty cracking If you get that in pretty soon, I'll try and make sure it gets out in time Likewise any records, so that they're there for you at Christmas and there's a whole new batch of stuff coming in soon for the record club as well. There is. We're in a big shopping spree, so that'll be good for the labels and the bands that we buy from as well. They'll get a little bit of money prior to Christmas. Anyway, anyway. Enough, enough of that chat. This week we are going to do a programme about Anna von Hauswolf. Now we've got a problem here right away because I have been totally unable to say her name without putting on a sort of German spy <laughs> voice. <laughs> Anna von Hauswolf. <laughs> I, I can't do it. I can't just say Anna von Hauswolf. <laughs> it doesn't sound right. But that's, a, that's, just, that's the way you would say it though, Hauswolf. It, yeah. it doesn't sound good. Wolfie. Housey. Housey. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I think it needs that Wolf. So... Unfortunately, I'm going to be extremely patronising and borderline racist. It's still not as bad. Why is it not as bad to do a German saying Hauswolf as it would be to do a Syrian saying Hauswolf? I think you already don't answer that question, Chris. <laughs> but really, I think society needs to ask itself why. Says <laughs> so a straight white man. That's for, uh, maybe, this, maybe that's for part three of the Christmas episode. Yes, said, the feeling, Western, said the Western white man. Yes. <laughs> when I'm feeling a little bit braver and a little bit looser, you know. Mm-hmm. Anna von Hauswolf, had you ever heard of this? No, I hadn't. Well, I'd heard of the name before. I hadn't heard her. I think it, she seems as though she's the kind of person that would be mentioned in the same breath as people like Chelsea Wolfe and, and Emma Rothrondo. Because it's dark gothic and it's a female and that is 
uh, that, that probably sounds a bit patronising when I say that, but I don't mean it like that. It I just, think it's fairly accurate as well. I mean, she, she yeah. definitely fits into uh, a lot of record collections that will probably contain them as well. I would wager some more, but we'll get to that shortly. And she released a new album, Southern Lords, as well. So, um, that's that's also sort of in keeping with Emma Ruth Rundle, Chelsea Wolfe. I mean, yeah. Emma Ruth Rundle did that album with Thou, <laughs> and Chelsea Wolfe did stuff with Converge, the Blood Moon album. And so these are artists that it didn't start out overtly doomish and they were a little bit darker and a little bit, you know, eerier and maybe in their sensibilities, but they've all sort of gravitated towards this sort of fashionable alternative metal and post-hardcore and post-metal, in fact, it's probably even a better yeah. word. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I, I will say, so we're doing the album live at the Montreux Jazz Festival. This is... Controversial. Yeah, so it's an interesting choice, I would suggest, from her canon. She's got quite a strong canon of records uh, for people who are fans of her. Um, mm, I will, yeah, for fans, yeah. For probably, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some of them are not great points to jump in if you're not familiar. You'll be like, what the fuck is this? But we'll, we'll explain that in a bit more detail. But um, one of the reasons... That I think that's useful is because it turns out that for our Swedish audience, this might not seem all that unsung. Uh, in indie circles, there she's actually really pretty well known. Uh, or, or, she's won a Swedish Grammy, she not? Uh, certainly yeah, been nominated. At least one's one, been anyway. nominated as well, yeah, yeah, yeah. for others. Um, yes, but here's news, Swedes, and we do actually have a reasonable number of Swedish listeners to the show. Uh, she didn't translate over here to anything like the same extent. Uh, as Mark says, we saw her name about. Uh, I got into her way after her initial sort of flurry of interest in the likes of Pitchfork and things. But the, yeah, I would say plenty of listeners, if not most of our listeners, will either not have heard of her at all or will at least not have actually sat and listened to her. So I think it's really worth covering in that sense. Uh, she was born in September 1986 in Gothenburg in Sweden. Goth. Gah. Yeah, suitable, eh? Um, and her full name, and by the way, we've got some cracking names on this week's show. Uh, her full name is Anna Michaela Ebba Elektra von Hauswolf. <laughs> her father is Carl Michael von Hauswolf, and he is a multidisciplinary artist. I would say he probably focuses mostly on audio. His main tools are recording devices. He uses like cameras, tape decks. He uses like radar and sonar and a bunch of weird stuff like that. Mm. And he also uses them, uh, <laughs> at, quote, in an ongoing investigation of electricity, frequency, architectural space, and paranormal electronic interference. Okay. Yeah, um, <laughs> he is an expert in the work of Friedrich Jorgensen, an electronic voice phenomenon thing, EVP. I've heard the EVP before. EVP researcher, yeah, uh, who claims to have detected voices of the dead hidden in radio static, which is, uh, wow, there's so many places we can go with that. The voices of the dead in radio static, you really just hear or see what you want to see. Yeah. It's like seeing Pattern fa- recognition. Yeah, it's like seeing faces in the trees bark and thinking that the souls of the dead are in the bark of a tree. I mean, yeah. he's a break, mate. But uh, also, Carl Michael van Hauswolf has a collaborative record called Dark Morph with Yonzi uh, of Sigur Rós. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. That's cool. So, Anna, uh, 
you mentioned a couple of names, obviously, uh, Emmeruth Rundle and Chelsea Wolfe. Aesthetically, yes. Musically, probably not, not that much in common, mm-hmm. I would say. Names that pop up that have been on the show before, Diamanda Galas. Uh, especially for, I would class it as the extreme use of vocals. She uses her voice in ways that sometimes is almost intentionally quite uh, piercing, mm-hmm. you say. And she cracks her vocals at times into these snarls and witchy kind of cackles and stuff like that. It also, I would say quite deliberately to try and unbeautify it because she's a very, very good singer and she messes with that on purpose. Uh, another name that we've covered before, Kate Bush. Yeah, it's pretty stuck on that one. Mm-hmm. Um, although more so on certain material. I've seen it written that uh, Susie Sue, especially around yeah, about the ki- Kiss in the that. Dream House. That was one of the first things that I mentioned yeah. when I was like, like, I mentioned in my notes when I was listening to the album. stick with vocalists so here's an interesting one that I saw uh, in reference to it a few times Ima Sumac do you know that no. name? Um, so I hope I've pronounced that well but here's another absolutely cracking name so that's a, that's a pseudonym her real name is Zoila Augusta Imperatriz Chavari del Castillo Zoila Augusta Imperatriz Chavari del Castillo a Peruvian singer, actress, model, also known as the Queen of Exotica. She was a Guinness record holder for the greatest vocal range at one point. Oh, really? At just about five octaves. That's cool. Her, her music's used in a bunch of stuff that is, seems incidental. It's like advertising and backgrounds of funny bits and stuff like that. So I'll put a bit of a tune in called Gopher Mambo. Mm-hmm. And I mean Gopher as in G-O-P-H-E-R. Gopher Mambo. Um, amazing performer, very famous in her day, had loads of famous admirers and moved in famous circles and things like that. But I guess because she was Peruvian, uh, we are not as familiar with her. But um, yeah, I can see some of the parallels. I mean, she sings in a much more old timey way, mm. but uh, I think she would be undoubtedly be an influence on Diamanda Galas. I also hear uh, PJ Harvey. Yeah, no, I was going to mention that. There's definitely a lot of PJ Harvey mm-hmm. in there. Um, when it comes to musical instincts, she's worked with and I think draw, invites comparisons with Swans. Michael Gira, Swans, uh, Sun mm-hmm. as well. Uh, I would say there's quite a lot of bits of like Krautrock, like kind of like Einsterzender Nebauten. She toured, or well, I don't know if she toured, but she certainly supported Tinder Sticks on a number of occasions. But when I hand, reach out, I think of you. 
I have that same kind of forlorn, melancholy, oppressive, melancholy thing going on. That was back in 2010, she did that. Uh, a lot of comparisons with Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. Some of that kind of like baroque, gothy mm-hmm. alternative stuff that he does, maybe hints a birthday party, but definitely more kind of bad seedsy kind of period. And she's collaborated with people like Wolves in the Throne Room, um, yeah. Jan Tiersen as well. Uh, she recorded the Dead Magic album, which was our 2018 record, mm-hmm. I think, off the top of my head, uh, with Randall Dunn, who's a producer of Sun as well. So you can see there's like loads of crossover and, and, and stuff there. Uh, any other names that popped into your head? Hey, John R. Newsom, uh, on the first record particularly, mm-hmm. um, musically a little bit and vocally, uh, although more more in the Kate, the Kate Bush school of, of things. I think you can hear influences of Tori Amos and some of her vocal, um, yes. some of her vocal performance and 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 voicing. I think um, vocal voicing. <laughs> Let's make it a thing. Um, some of the voicing of her of her melody, shall we say? Vocal, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, And I think some of the most po- kind of a lot of the post metally bits that are in our music, even though there's not a riff to be found, is like Russian circles and their quieter moments. Yeah, um, she's often cited Earth as a as a um, right. as an influence as well, which you can certainly hear. Dylan Carlson project. Um, yeah. And I actually get some echoes of Lancome, not just because of the way the drones used. I would, yeah, I mean, especially uh, more recently. Definitely more yeah. recently, for mm-hmm. sure, especially on the new records. Um. And yeah, I was also drawn to some of the when she does some of the kind of weirder stuff, like the using the drone and, and like strange guitar sounds and all that. It did give me Scott Walker vibes. Yeah, that's too. actually a really good uh, reference point. Can't go by a man from I hadn't even thought about that, but that's that's very very true. When you go back to his like really late nineties, early two thousand sort of stuff, yeah, yeah there, totally. musically there's a lot of stuff there. Yeah, um, an interesting fact about Anna von Hauswolf is that she was uh, picketed by the Catholic Church. So far, I've been I've been picketed by a Catholic Church. Is that true? No. <laughs> oh. I just left. I That's just, disappointing. I just, I just left. Oh, man. I was really hoping you'd been picketed. I mean, there's worse things they could do to you. There's, like, there certainly are, yeah. <laughs> um, 
apparently that picket was a result of lyrics on a track called Pills from her debut album uh, that say, I, oh, made lo- song, though, I made love with the devil. There you I mean, go. Clearly she's been literal. Yeah, obviously. And also <laughs> their grasping is so much there. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Catholic church. Do you know have better things to be getting on with? I think it's because she was going to play an organ in a church, right? So they're like, or a chapel. So we can't yeah. be having that. Yeah. We can't it was, uh, that. The concert was uh, the Roman Catholic Diocese of Nantes. They, they cancelled it. I almost used that for my nexus, but I didn't. Okay. I'm worried where we're, if we might overlap today, but we'll see. Um, there was a concert in Paris that she was due to play as well that was moved from Saint Eustace Church, which was Catholic, to the Uni de Toile uh, Church, which is Prodi. <laughs> Prodi's fucking love a bit of goth rock, don't they? Well, that's the thing. Like, they, they, as far as they see it, they won from the Reformation. <laughs> so, <laughs> Do you think most of the listeners know what I mean when I say Prodi? Um, no, they probably don't. Should I unpack that? <laughs> He's Protestant. Protestant. Yeah, which is... Um, Another very German thing, isn't it? Yeah. Well, John Knox was not German. but yeah, uh, Martin Luther was, though. Yeah, mate. true. Martin Luther was, that's true. <laughs> the um, guy who protested. <laughs> but uh, I mean, John, Locke's, John Knox's, the Reformation when it happened in Scotland was, was a result of John Knox, you know what I mean? So um, we know it as the Church of Scotland here in Scotland and England as the Church of England, uh, but you may also know it as Lutheranism. Luther- Lutheranism. Lutheranism, yeah, um, and other countries. When he nailed his wee note to the door of the church. Uh, yeah. Well, the Papes, see, seeing as we're seeing the prodies, the Papes, mm-hmm. being the Catholics, later claimed that the show was actually moved for security reasons, not due to the content of her lyrics. Um, Don't want to fucking up that organ. <laughs> that <laughs> seems pretty uh, convenient. Yeah. Um, she also had a concert in Saint-Dominique de Bruxelles, uh, Brussels in Belgium, uh, that was threatened by a hundred protesters outside, although apparently the Belgian protesters were a bit less shouty than the French ones. And frankly, that's not a shock. Because yeah. if there's one thing the fucking French can do, it's complain. Yes. Uh, <laughs> although very well known for having their complaints quashed, which might come in the nexus at some point. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> so let's take just a short deviation here because this did make me curious about something. Um, I wanted to come up with some other people who were targeted by the church. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. Is Marlon Manson top of that list by any chance? Literally the first name on this is Marlon Manson. <laughs> um, I just want to say cheers to Kerrang, because this is a list for a wee while back that they published, uh, so it's mainly metal-focused. Before um, you go on to this deviation, has Anna von Housewolf ever been in Kerrang? I don't know. Seems unlikely, but she would go, She would be a good fit. If if, if crying were forward thinking, if she's doing stuff with sun, sun and swans, and stuff, I mean sun, but I think sun and swans are too obscure for crying. Like mm-hmm. crying's probably mentioned sun in a kind of novelty way, in a mm-hmm. kind of like, ooh, isn't this fucking strange? Mm-hmm. Um, but I doubt they really get much traction in that magazine. But then again, you never know. I mean, I remember reading about Earth and crying. Yeah, yeah. Earth's been there. I just I don't know if Swans has been there. Swans feels too arty. It. Yeah, it feels more like an enemy. Yeah. Thing. Um, can I can I have well, a guess? These days. Yeah. Uh, to, yeah. Uh, can well, I have a guess of else is on that list? Sure. I I, I go for it. I've got Slayer. ten. Slayer. Yep. A uh, deicide. Nope. No. Um. Death. Nope. Children of Bodom. Nope. Cradle of Filth. Yes. <laughs> Shit running out. Mayhem. Mayhem definitely should be on that list. I mean, the church probably <laughs> protested about mayhem as it after, was on fire. <laughs> yeah, after mayhem had happened, uh, I'm out. All right. Uh, right, so we'll start with Marlon Manson, Antichrist Superstar, enough said there. Banned from performance shows in 1997 and 1999. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even, actually, the Church of Satan has distanced itself from him. Yeah, I mean, he he claimed he was never actually part of it as a thing. It was just like a he joined, but he was never like a, yeah. mem- a member. Well, they know. made that clear as yeah. well. Rotting Christ. Holy 
Yes, okay. Uh-huh. Wonder what could possibly have upset the church about that uh-huh. bad name. Um, the concert was cancelled in Patras in their home country of Greece uh, by the church, and uh, their general blasphemy was blamed by that church for the Greek financial crisis. <laughs> <laughs> I love it because <laughs> that's how the market. That, that's how that's how the world works, right? <laughs> uh, Slayer, you mentioned obviously they were targeted as Satanists. Uh, also, the album Christ Illusion from 2006 was recalled in India because of complaints. I mean, have you seen the cover? No, it's the cover. <laughs> it's like, it's, like the, it's Christ in the cross, but it's on nasty and horrible. Um, oh, because a man being crucified isn't nasty and horrible anyway. Yeah, but it's the way it's, the way it's depicted and drawn is like the artwork is like grim and not, it's not like. Dali, <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, Cradle of Filth, you mentioned. Uh, Cradle of Filth were kicked out of the Vatican, physically removed from the Vatican. Um, <sighs> they, they, they sense a humour. <laughs> they went into St. Peter's Square and Danny Filth obviously had the Jesus is a cunt t-shirt. Obviously. And one of the other guys had I love Satan on his t-shirt. Oh. However, that is not why they were removed. They were removed because uh, Lecter, the keyboardist in that band, was dressed as a priest, which is illegal in the Vatican if you're not a priest. Okay, well, I mean, that's a bit less cool, isn't it? Is it? Oh, it's all right. Um, I mean, I've never been kicked out of the Vatican. I've never been dressed as a priest. <laughs> actually, I should actually try and you should try and do that. Fix that. Yeah. Uh, that would be cool. Uh, the Beatles. Oh yeah, the Beatles, uh, bigger than Jesus, mm. apparently, um, led to a yep. campaign of burning their stuff across the USA, especially during that tour. The Vatican, by the way, talking to them, officially forgave the Beatles in 2010. <laughs> so I guess maybe you might have you might have Led Zeppelin. Nope. You might have Black Sabbath and or Ozzy Osbourne. Yes, Sabbath are there. Um, you may have Kiss because of the Knights and Satan Service thing. Nope. No. Knights and Satan Service didn't make the list, but we should mention that. Yeah. yeah um, which seems like a stick on to be honest. And what was the other band I was thinking of? Uh, Judas Priest because the backward tracks thing, the backwards track. Uh, thing? No, but that's another good one about the, the being blamed for inspiring murders by recording secret messages backwards in mm-hmm. their records. But no, that was kind of cancelled by American stupidity yeah. rather than the church, which is you know there's a bit of a Venn diagram happening. <laughs> yeah, there, but... say, yeah. <laughs> um, let's talk about another one here. We have Sepultura. Uh, in Brazil? Uh, no, actually. Sepultura were banned from Lebanon superficially <laughs> for being Satanists and blaspheming. But it seems like the true reason was that they had been photographing themselves posing at various places in Israel. Uh, there's no love mm. lost between Lebanon and Israel. Yeah. Uh, it's very hard to actually perform in Lebanon with an Israeli stamp on your passport. It's almost impossible even just as a tourist to get in uh, oh, okay. with that as well. They check for that and they're like, no, fuck Is off. it the same in reverse, do you think? Uh, it's bad in reverse. I don't know if it's as severe as that, but I know it's not popular. But yeah, definitely a big issue. People with multiple uh, citizenships use different passports to avoid it, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, so Black Sabbath, uh, always targeted despite never actually being Satanists. Uh, apparently one show was banned in a town by the local church and that church then burned down not long after. <laughs> so the band got blamed for it when it was clearly just some pissed off little Black Sabbath fan from nearby that dealt with it mm. or mayhem. Um, <laughs> Another one, Behemoth. Ah, yeah, that makes sense. They are quite... uh... I've got worse problems with Behemoth than this, but Mm. Energal ripped up a Bible on stage in 2007, which actually he went to trial for fucking Poland, by the way. Yeah, (laughs) both don't fuck about, man. (laughs) Any opportunity to fuck somebody up, they'll take. (laughs) Uh, Lama God. Yeah, I mean, the name... Well, you would think so, but also banned by the Office of Islamic Development of Malaysia due to the use of the words from the Quran in Philadelphia.
um, and the promoter of the festival they were meant to be playing started getting death threats if they let it go ahead because apparently their lyrics are worse than actual death threats and if we needed any proof that uh, <laughs> Christianity is as stupid as other religions then there you go uh, the Everly Brothers <laughs> why? Yeah, uh, the Catholic Church got uh, an Everly Brothers show in Boston cancelled due to the song Wake Up Lil Susie And sexual themes, apparently, despite uh-huh. the fact that the song's actually about two youngsters who don't have sex. Because uh-huh. we used to write songs about not having sex. <laughs> wow. Um, but yeah, and also because the Catholic Church in Boston was clearly very concerned with the sexual well-being of young people in the 1950s. Incredibly, Incredibly concerned. Yeah. Remarkably attentive. <laughs> extremely, <laughs> extremely attentive, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, back to Anna von Hausfeld. So um, there's there's so many more. Please, if you think of a good one, feel free to Just, write in the comments under the post. Uh, maybe we can do a show on that, actually, because... That would be fun. Religious cancellation uh, is it's a bit like gone too soon. I think there's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised Evelyn's not in there just for fucking Robert Plant. It probably Plant's, is. Robert Honestly, Plant's crotch alone. barely scratched the surface there. Yeah. I think there's a full, episode, full mixtape in that one. So, Anna Van Houseville's albums. She has five studio albums. Uh, Singing from the Grave, Ceremony, The Miraculous, Dead Magic and All Thoughts Fly in 2020. Uh, she has this album live at the Montreal Jazz Festival, which I've seen listed as 2021, but in other places listed as 2022, which I think officially makes us the most recent album we've ever covered. I did the Sharon Van Etten album that came out. But now it's no. the most recent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she's got a couple, uh, some EPs, Track of Time in 2010. Callan uh, came out twice as a prototype and a beta type, apparently. I don't know what that means. But yeah, um, we'll go into the albums a wee bit, take a wee skim through them. Uh, the first record, Singing from the Grave, 2010. Uh, quite different. Very piano led. This is the one with that track Pills on it that got uh, made her a target at the Catholic Church. As you said, uh, Tori Amos, the vibes are huge on this one, especially... And Joanne Newsom. Because of the piano. And Joanne Newsom, yeah. And obviously Kate Bush. <laughs> I will say, though, unlike Tori Amos and Joanna Newsom, some of the cheesy bluesiness on this really puts me off. A track called Lost at Sea that also has this kind of Liza Minnelli cabaret-esque vocal, vocal to it. It really fucking grates on me at yeah. times. Some of it's really nice. The opening track's really nice, but um, that yeah. track of time. No, that's the second one, I think. That, I like that's pretty much the only song that I, that I enjoyed. The title track as well is a good example of just the bluesiness, just being. It just feels corny. 
once you hear what she went on to do, it doesn't feel like a natural fit, I guess. It's, no. it's a young woman trying to find her musical identity, isn't it? Um, Ceremony in 2012, uh, released in Europe and the USA in 2013. Apparently inspired thematically by the death of her grandfather, peaked at number five in Sweden. So as as if to highlight the fact that this is actually quite a high profile act, or certainly for them, um, considered gothic pop by many at the time. Although I don't think that really conjures what it is to me. Mostly a doom record, I would say. Yes, yeah, it's, it's like much darker and more analog than gothic pop suggests. Um, a couple of singles on it: "Mountains Crave" and "Funeral for My Future Children." Mm-hmm. Multiple other tracks in the record actually got promotional videos, despite not being singles. Oh, really? Um, yep. She had moved from Gothenburg to Copenhagen at this point. She was playing synths using these pipe organ effects, but became really, really interested in actually using the real instruments. recorded this record at the Anadol Church in Gothenburg. It's quite a small organ compared to some of the instruments that appear on later records, but it's a big room and she spoke glowingly of the, the huge sound. But yeah, uses a pipe organ in nine of the tracks, plus some synth and some bass and percussion. Mm-hmm. So it's a good record. I mean, I like it. Um, the third track, Mountains Crave, the aforementioned one, is just fucking brilliant bit of music. It's one of the most poppy things she's written though, yeah. in terms of like its hookiness. It kind of stands out from the rest of the record. It does, it yeah. It definitely does. Uh, it's got an 808 clap sample on it, mm-hmm. which I have to admit though, I would have, I would have preferred if they'd used a drum. It, it always sounded a bit thin to me on the record. Um, funnily enough though, I did hear about a live version that she'd done for Stereogum, I think it was 2013, which you can hear online. which is a really strong version. It's got some really gnarly guitar stuff at the end as well. Um, When she's playing it, she does this really interesting technique on the chord strikes where she basically flams everything. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like the lower and the upper octave are so close together, but there is just a slight distance between the notes and it's got a really, really nice quality. Um, As you say, other than that, the album doesn't have any hugely standout moments for me, but it does have a nice overall feel to it. Yeah, um, it's a long and sprawling record, I think, compared to what would would come afterwards. It's actually quite compositionally simple. The songs basically have one or two tricks, or three tricks maybe maximum, and she deploys them all very well Mm -hmm. for most of the songs. It's a bit too long, I think, for me as well. Yeah, I would agree Um, Some highlights, Deathbed sounds like Russian Circles in the more lucid moments, in their more lucid moments.
very Kate Bush in the vocal on that. Um, there's some nice guitars on Mountains Crave. They're not the guitars are often quite understated. They're understated, work, yeah. Which which I like. Um, nobody, uh, nobody is the one which reminded me of Scott Walker. Mm-hmm. I really like Liturgy of Light. It's got some really, it kind of slowly builds in a really understated way, and there's, there's vocal harmonies towards the end, which are really nice. Um, harmonica has got almost like an ABBA esque vocal quality to mm-hmm. it. Um, That's Otherwise, nothing like ABBA apart from that vocal, no. apart from the, the voice itself. Um, and Sunrise is really good, and I really liked Ocean. I think that's a really beautiful song. Um, it's kind of like comes in waves. It's a really nice, but funnily enough. Yeah, of course. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah uh, good record. Um, would would I suggest it to someone if I was like, oh, go and check out this artist? Probably not. No. I would say you should go back and listen to that after you've familiarised yourself mm-hmm. with a couple of the others first. One of them being the next one, The Miraculous, in 2015. Released on thirteenth uh, of November, twenty fifteen, by our own label. Although I think it got picked up by other distributors in mm. other areas. I think it's called Pompereposa Records, which I think is a track name as well. Um, a kind of departure for that gothic pop-led stuff of the previous works. It goes into genres like folk metal and post-rock. Um, there's a wee bit of neoclassical in there. This was number eight in Sweden. Again, just sort of showing that she's somebody that had consistent profile as well. I think the album itself is to do with an area she used to visit with her family uh, when she was younger. She also had compared it to the landscape that's used as a setting in the film Come and See. Mm-hmm. And it's weird, this has popped up multiple times for me in the last week. That's strange. Yeah, because I went to the pub on Friday night after getting stood up by one of our co-hosts and <laughs> uh, got sat next to somebody who was blethering away about the film Come and See as I was sitting reading the book that it's based on. Mm-hmm. Turned out one of them clears mines in Ukraine Oof. and the guy that was sitting with him, believe it or not, yes, I did sit next to this person by accident, uh, works in countering Russian disinformation <laughs> for a living. That um, is cool. And was on his way to, I think it was Georgia, somewhere in the Caucasus, to work in his next project. Uh, I don't think you could sit me next to two more fascinating people. Um, that was a fascinating conversation. But yeah, come and see. It's very strange, very harrowing film with a really, really famous ending. Uh, an ending that I think Mel Gibson uh, nabbed for The Patriot, mm-hmm. um, much to the chagrin of the English. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, come and see. I can see why she's said that. Um, that kind of ghostly landscape. The sky's always kind of slightly grey. The grass is very green. It's a very fertile area of Europe. Um, years later she revealed that the name of the actual place that inspired the miraculous was Kisa uh, which is located in the uh, I'm going to say this Ostergotland 
County in Sweden Sorry folks I didn't prepare for that I didn't take a trial run But yeah She recorded The Miraculous We're backing band And the producer Philip Lehman At a Studio Acousticum Concert hall uh, In Patea In Sweden uh, This hall houses A 9,000 pipe organ <laughs> Built by uh, Gerald Vohl uh, Which is one of the largest In Europe A 9,000 pipe organ That's fucking huge That's gigantic Absolutely yeah. That album, what did you think? I mean, this is one of the ones that you maybe would suggest to somebody look, if you want to check this artist out, maybe jump in here. I disagree. I think this is I think this is weaker than the two albums either side of it. Okay. I like Discovery, that song's got a lot of promise. I like the guitars and the more expansive feel of it. The whole record feels a bit more cinematic, and um, but it just takes too long to get going. Mm-hmm. I know this kind of got a seventies dark folk vibe about it. There's something about Sharon Van Etten about the vocal delivery in that song. I think. Uh, but it's a nice ballad that kind of slowly unfolds and The Miraculous is really cool it starts off very dark with just the organ drone which again is kind of Scott Walkery and also Lancome and then it kind of builds up very slowly Everything comes in in stages and it kind of peters out again. Uh, it's a really nice track, but it doesn't quite hang together. I mean, I don't. Th- I think Ceremony's too long, but I think it hangs together better than this record does. Yeah. And then the next record is so good that uh, she did it live, basically, yeah. <laughs> on the record so, you picked. So. Well, before we jump onto that, just very quickly, I would actually say that, weirdly, I do agree with you. I don't get a lot of mileage out of The Miraculous. However, I think it's a more accessible take on our music than Ceremony. Um, I think it's easier to get lost in Ceremony, whereas Miraculous has more landmarks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I certainly don't think it's as good an album as the following album, Dead Magic, for 2018, which is her best studio album yeah, I've, by I'm, some way. Before you continue, I'm going to say I don't have any notes for this record because it's pretty much all on the live, on the live record. Well, the, the live record is actually a mix of those two. Yeah, so, it is, yeah, it is, yeah, yeah. I mean, but like all but one song is played on a live record from Dead Magic, um, and this is a good record. I think that the live record is superior, uh, and the performances of it. Oh well, great, that's us. Yeah. See you next week. Yeah. <laughs> but the songs are worth talking about, obviously. Yeah. So Dead Magic, uh, five songs, forty-seven minutes. Uh, a couple of these songs get lengthy, ugly, and vengeful. Sixteen minutes, and the the truth, the glow, the fall is twelve. Recorded by Randall Dunn, the Sun producer. He's also worked with Earth and Wolves in the Throne Room. Uh, it was recorded at Copenhagen's Copenhagen's Marble Church. Copenhagen. 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 Yeah, yeah I mean, you would know. <laughs> um, apparently, it's got a famous pipe organ. Um, so, yeah, I mean, dead magic. Fucking hell. Uh, Benjamin Bland, which is a fucking brilliant name, uh, commented for <laughs> Drowned in Sound. 
that uh, multiple tours with Swans had left a mark on her songwriting. Uh, it was longer and doomier. He also observed that uh, she'd worked her way to this sound over the previous records, which I kind of agree with. Uh, you can hear her getting to this conclusion, starting with that kind of quite naive piano-led, almost like Tori Amos type stuff, and then bringing in the pipes and stuff, and then the vocals getting more experimental and a bit more harsh. And yeah, um, However, he actually in that review... Uh, and Drowning Sound goes on to award a really average five and claims that this album sounds rote. That's his, that's his word. Interesting. Which uh, seems like fucking wildly clutched as a hot take to me. It really does. Mm-hmm. I mean, he describes the first four tracks as a disappointment. And that's a hard disagree from me on that one. Yeah, I, w- I would agree. I think, um, I think that's well off the mark. It feels like our most together collection of songs. Oh, definitely. Yeah, it feels consistent. Yeah, and yeah. I think our other records have a, have vision. I think she's a I think she's an artist with good vision, but I think sometimes she'll maybe be a bit too indulgent with that vision, uh, or with try to get to the end goal, which yeah, is why ceremony the next album. Yeah, which yeah, that, that <laughs> yes, um, but why ceremony has maybe a bit too long in places, and why the miraculous doesn't really hold together. But this one does. It's yeah. It's weird to say it's taught, it's not taught, it's 47 minutes long, it's only five songs, <laughs> it's like five songs, so it's not taught, but it's uh, it's the clearest I think her vision has ever been. I think as recording. well, because of the style of the music, 47 minutes and five songs certainly isn't over long, because ah, yeah, yeah. the songs mm. are really, they evolve, they're indulgent, mm. a lot of it is about undulation and dynamism and yeah. letting a quiet passage really soothe you, and then letting a loud passage, like there's, there's bits in this where it turns into pure like noise core type stuff mm-hmm. and it, it that has to be given time to really dramatise and that's the point if you just did that for 30 seconds then you're fucking pig destroyer aren't you Basically. so um, yeah but uh, that's a bad take that guy is a bad take yeah, Benjamin I, I, Bland I mean I'm, I'm not down with that either uh, but talking about the indulgent sensibilities uh, All yeah. Thoughts Fly the album that followed in 2020 I'm glad she'd done this because she clearly wanted to do this for a while Hopefully she's got it out of her system. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. (laughs) Uh, Came out Southern Lord. I'm curious about that because Southern Lord probably heard Dead Magic and went, oh my God, I can't wait to release the next one of them. And instead they got an album that is entirely pipe organ. Mm -hmm. I mean, the Southern Lord thing, though, as I say, it gives insight into that shifting market placement, courting with the doomier side of stuff. 100% pipe organ recorded in Orgreet, New Church in Gothenburg. They released a fucking single of this, uh, Sacro Bosco. I mean, a fucking single from a seven-song pipe organ only album, and that song Cheer, is why not? That song is sinister as well. <laughs> you know, fucking, why bother calling it a single, man? Who's anyway? Um, this actually gets a better overall score on Metacritic than Ceremony, which to me is just madness. That seems weird. I get it that people want to do indulgent things, and that's mm. fine. It's not a bad bit of art, but it's not a great album to listen to. I think it's esoteric, isn't it? Exactly. You know, I like I said, it's very chin strokey. Yeah, I like the ambition of it, and maybe it's something that yields results over time, but there's just no immediate hook. And I think even even things that are challenging, there's usually some hook for a person to get into mm-hmm. if. You know, if, if if you're attuned to a certain style of music, and at this point in her career, you kind of you kind of know what she does. 
But yeah, I like that. I like the fact she's done that. Hopefully, she doesn't do it again. <laughs> that, would, that would be fine. Yeah. And yeah, so that kind of brings us uh, right up to date with the 2021 slash 2022 live at Montreal Jazz Festival album. Um, so this record, as we said, draws from the the two albums, Dead Magic and The Miraculous. The performance was actually an opening set for Nick Cave. Oh, okay. Yeah, so that's how she was playing. I would explain why the crowd are very polite. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's Switzerland on the shore of Lake Geneva, the venue. So yeah, I mean, the songs, there's not a lot of songs in this six-track album, um, but we take a wee tour through yeah. them. It, it opens with The Truth, The Glow, The Fall, which is also the opening track from Dead Magic. Um, has a really psychedelic, almost like 1960s feel to the lead vocal for a while. Reminds me a bit of like weird 70s sci-fi too, you know, yeah, Barbarella and stuff like that. There's such scale and flamboyance in it. Um, she plays with a vocal a lot in this record, uh, cracking it and adding bits of gravel to it. Uh, and the take is a bit coarser and more confrontational than the, the album's version. Um, the conservative use of root changes is really effective because I think it's around about three and a half minutes. She suddenly shifts the root and it just has maximum effect. And also around about that point, you get these additional strings and pads that arrive. And that's it's just a really, really good sea change there. The song itself kind of zones out for the, the latter half into this abstract, kind of quasi-ambient thing with these huge, huge vocals, but not with any real focus. There's kind of textural um, and a weird final witchy cackle at the very end. Yeah, aye. It's a good song. Um, it's cool to hear the organ live, even though it's not an actual organ. Because <laughs> um, can you imagine? Can you imagine? <laughs> Wheeling in a 9,000 uh, <laughs> pipe organ. Yeah. Um, there's like a really aching accordion in it. This whole song basically aches, I think. There's the e-board guitars. Our voice, as we've discussed, is very Kate Bush. I also hear PJ Harvey and also hear Susie Sue as well. I really like the mix of this record overall um, yeah. but this song is quite dissonant in places particularly in that middle section where it kind of descends into these spooky mm-hmm. bent chords and becomes quite sort of labyrinthine It's quite vibey towards the end, it like is. you were kind of saying, yeah. and that's when it becomes quite interstellar and sci-fi almost. You know, um, the keyboards and guitars, the way they kind of rise and pitch, kind of gives me like seventies, yeah, seventies sci-fi cinema is a really good, a really good uh, analogy there. Um, and then yeah, the falsetto towards the end is just like what? That's her using her voice as a bit of a weapon, though. She does occasionally 
whip it out and sort of like batter you with it. It's it's designed to shock, like mm-hmm. it pierces through you. She does that a few times in this, and she does that a few times, you know, in her records in general. But mm-hmm. doing it live and doing it so well live, I mean, that's another thing this record highlights is she's fucking great at singing. Mm-hmm. Like her performances for that for a live album. Her performances Spot are on. astonishing. Mm. Yeah, um, the second track of it, uh, Pompeira Posa, a massive, sinister theatrical opening. Quite vaudeville. Aye, aye, it does. It does have a little bit of that. That's why that theatrical mm-hmm. theatricality. You know, I've actually got that. It's like an alt rock version of Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's uh, taken from the Miraculous album. There's some proper fucking Diamanda Galas territory in the vocals here. As I say, the voice again. Yeah, it like, sounds manic. Her voice yeah, sounds manic. It's, yeah. it's, it's weapon like. You know, mm-hmm. making you recoil. Um, it, about, it's only about a minute 18 there's this real yearning sense to the, the lead vocal part and the chords really do crash like waves there because they're accented by these huge cymbals mm. so it has a very watery feel to it it's a massive vocal performance in this I mean, despite being a fairly short song for her as well, it's only about 3.35, but it spends a good 40-odd seconds at the end just in this feral noise-out mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, it's um, the guitars throughout this entire song paint this kind of, this is, going to, this is a bit anachronistic, but a lovely ap- apocalyptic feel. <laughs> but then when it all drops out and becomes quite shoegazy and expansive noise, it's a, such a cool shift. The drumming towards the end is frantic as well, which kind of matches our vocals back at, the, uh, at yeah. the front of the song. And really heavy too. I did this, uh, this song, I noticed the drums are actually mixed quite low on the record compared to they would be in most live records I think well it's certainly very different from the album version yeah that actually I'll, I'll mention that a couple of times on a couple of tracks that are coming up how this compares to the studio version so the third track uh, The Mysterious Vanishing of Electra bearing in mind that one of her names that's, 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 yeah Electra. weird there yeah yeah Um, it's an absolutely stick on Swans tune for anybody mm-hmm. that's familiar with Swans. Uh, the album My Father Will Guide Me Up a Rope to the Sky, that kind of era in particular. This is the second track on the Dead Magic album. The repetition of the line, my feet are not enough to save me. Uh, and even I think the strange sort of physiological nature of that subject matter is very reminiscent for me of P.G. Harvey. My 
she does a lot of that, just repeating a lyric and that the kind of body focus as well. But the entire piece, the entire song here feels much bigger in spectacle than PJ Harvey would probably attempt. Um, it has that funereal, unrelenting stomp of swans and, and other kind of doomy alternative acts. There's a huge change at 4 minutes 30 that's really powerful in the way she attacks the vocal. Kind of reminds me of Bonnie Tyler, right? <laughs> yeah. and, and it's it's bluesy, it's really angst-ridden, and it's got a, a kind of eighties Jim Steinman aspect to Just that particular section. Um, the there's there's a line in it as well where she goes, Who is she? Who is she? Who is she? Who is, mm-hmm. she? Who is mm-hmm. she? And that's quite cabaret as it well is, in its yeah. feel. Um there is a fantastic line that comes in, this rising horn and guitar line that arrives at 540. You know that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely brilliant writing. I love that bit of this song. Um, and it lifts it to a really special place for me, along with the really falsetto howls, which are again just really unsettling. Mm-hmm. Uh, the live version of this one just sounds so much bigger than the Dead Magic version. It benefits for the clarity of the components on the album, the original album, but it just doesn't gel anything like as well as this one. And as a result, I don't think the album version has the gravitas that this live take does. Uh, this is fucking brilliant. Mm. It's, a, it's almost like a doomy folk song, which does give me a big Chelsea Wolf hint. Mm-hmm. You know, because that's kind of that was kind of her vibe in the early days yeah. um, before she became. Fully I mean, I'll be honest. Electric. I think one thing Anna van Hals Wolf leaves a lot of these other acts behind in terms of sheer vocal ability. Yeah, her I mean, voice is stunning. I really like Chelsea Wolf, but I don't think Chelsea Wolf has the voice. No, not at all. Yeah. Um, Anna van Hals Wolf has got something which is a bit special on her vocal. I think one of the things that did annoy me about this song is just it's just the the tone of the acoustic guitar. That boxy mm. thing is a sound that I a sound that I just don't like in an acoustic. Right, yeah. um, but apart from that, the song is great. Um, the lead guitar coming in around one forty-five is very cool. The organ's out the window for this song, mm-hmm. but our vocal madness is all the way in the window. The Bre- cha- breaking the window, yeah, so. pretty much. That changeover you were talking about with that sort of rising. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Um, that's really, really, really good. That feels like demonic folk music at that point. And that's really you know? neoclassical. I mean, I can imagine that. In like a, a soundtrack, you know, it's, it's very sort mm, of mm. Johan Johansson, Hans Zimmer kind of big scale thing. It's, yeah. it's huge. Mm. It's a great song that I really enjoyed that version of. It. I think I prefer that to the the record for sure. Yeah. Uh, strap yourself in There's a 19 minute song coming up Ugly and Vengeful uh, Which I think is a good few minutes longer Than the album version from memory This is number three on Dead Magic, a huge droning doomy intro that really underscores her association or collaboration with Sun, you mm-hmm. know, uh, staff. The first four and a half minutes are a dense, 
very atmospheric journey kind of drops into this barely perceptible mournful vocal a very soft vocal as well in comparison to some of the other stuff she's done here Um, the acoustics of the venue at that part really make themselves apparent. See when everything else drops away and it's her singing, the, the acoustics are phenomenal. I get that there's probably a bit of processing, but it's just a really nice sound that's going on there. It's quite a ghostly middle passage, and it's followed by this dense, fuzzy, really saturated... droning bass and keys that refuse to let you up off the floor they're mm-hmm. very mm-hmm. just just like a wet duvet you mm-hmm. know just keep me down there and then her vocal comes in just very briefly and kind of shatters that part of the song she arrives and then that's it drops down again and then goes into this really tribal drum-led thunderous ending yeah really cool. big vocal bursts you know it sort of reminded me of a little bit of Tool and I mean like mm-hmm. the good parts mm-hmm. of Tool a much more analogue folky less fussy like warmer version of Tool uh, the massive whales I think is it the word star that she's Shouting, I didn't think look, so. Look, but that's they're probably not for everyone, to be honest, given how much they pierce through your fucking head. But I think that is absolutely the purpose of them. Uh, so you kind of have to be invested in the album to really if you heard that bit first you'd be like oh god no mm-hmm. but once you're I and mean, it's a 19 minute song once you're in this song that's part of the experience um, mm. it's punishing it's incredibly dense but I think it's a really rewarding listen I agree uh, there's, there's a lot of dark 80s synth vibes throughout the song which is cool and um, there's that vocal at the start is that kind of multi-tracked oh, there's probably more than one singer there isn't there there's pro- there probably is but mm. I think there's also a bit of doubling in the process yeah the um, and it sounds a bit like she's speaking in tongues at the start as well which I, I quite liked the, yeah, the, the piano, uh, the, sort of the guitars the guitar and the opening build up is utilised really well the way it sort of yawns and bends and pitch yeah, her, her, like you said there, her solo vocal was just fucking so good, man. And then that drone just comes crashing in almost. It's really cool. Very, very, very sinister. And yet towards the end, it's just, it gets big with all these toms. I think there's tambourines there as well, like mm. with that, that sort of tribal yeah. ending almost. I like the dual guitar work in the last couple of minutes as well. Mm. The way they kind of play off each other is, it creates this sort of whirling cacophony of noise, you know. Mm. Which is rewarding, but you need to get into it. You need to be in it, you, and you need to kind of focus on it. Otherwise, it's it can be distracting if you try to work <laughs> <laughs> or live. Yeah. <laughs> um, I I think because it's so fucking heavy at points and so disturbing at points, especially with that ending with the vocals and stuff, it, it's really well sequenced because it's followed by and forgive me here, Aterup Standelsa. Aterup mm. Standelsa. Want me to take a stab at that? <laughs> have, a, have a go at it, man. Um, Kellyanne's Etel Stuart with Standels, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck, man. That's, uh, 
that I mean I'm convinced <laughs> Scandinavia might not be but they're not here um I, I actually I remember um reading about what this was about I can't remember is it a book something like that I can't I, I can't recall sorry but it, it's a really well sequenced track because it follows this brutal big fucking disturbing tune with this really soft I mean it's it's a much lighter touch but it's still quite oppressive in its own way Uh, it's led by these evolving warm synthy pads and a really melancholy central vocal yeah. which I think this is the one I mentioned earlier there are certain tracks invite comparisons to Kate Bush mm. this one for me really does yeah uh, it's not dark and stalking like the last one it's, it's weird that it is the same, it's of the same melancholic nature but not as extreme but it's also more lush mm-hmm. it's, the pads are very lush yeah I mean the last song is apocalyptic this is kind of like a dark dream almost mm-hmm. um, the guitars ache like whale song the harmonica's a lovely touch um, there's a kind of like a it's kind of like a drone country track with all the bowed guitars um, it feels quite elegiac 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 it feels quite elegiac to me feels quite less than Jake <laughs> <laughs> um, the vocal melody I mean feels quite elegiac which is cool to see My only criticism of this one might be that the album version of this one has the vocals buried more in the mix and I think the result makes it a little bit more claustrophobic and a little bit more overwhelming. actually perhaps prefer the album version of this i think this is a very good version but the album version of this track i think there's something nice about the sunken nature mm. of it um and then there's the the final tune um which is lengthy uh, come wander with me slash deliverance uh, five minutes longer than the album equivalent on the miraculous mm. In the live setting, it's a different kind of heavy. I mean, on the record, the bass is brutally crunchy, but I think the live version makes up for that in a kind of more overall acoustic bombast, you know, the sound of the room. There's more reverberation. There's less of that initial grunt from the recorded, you know, studio recorded bass, but there's just more happening in overall sound. Um, It's a song that starts off really soft, quite disarming, but evolves into this really sour and then ultimately really bombastic number. A great choice for an ending to the record or the performance, uh, given that massive Swans arrangement. And then there's a wailing solo that 
actually yeah. comes across quite differently in this incarnation because the, the solo is there in the album. First of all, it's got a more 80s metal tone, the guitar, and it's a bit more discordant on the record, whereas in this, I find it a bit more righteous and I kind of prefer it. did notice in some of her live versions by the way not just this one um, but Mountain's Crave for example on that session she does like to let the guitarists go tits when she's doing a mm. live show they just have a bit of this is your time now yeah you come with a rock show and you have to have a guitar <laughs> right up in the monitor yeah fan in their face yeah yeah it sounds like there's a cello maybe at the start of this alongside the bowed guitars because there's, there's a kind of weird low I think given some of the note. synths that are used though it's hard sometimes it to could tell. be it could be yeah, yeah that's, could be that's yeah. I, I, it could be an, a, a real cello mm. but I think it could also quite easily just be a good uh, effect when the whole band comes in at four minutes it's got it gave me a kind of weird 70s psych vibe just a bit more just a bit darker and obviously do me um, it's quite a languid song you know which yeah. is the, the way it sort of well it's it, that's how it time, you that know? extra five minutes I think comes from being slightly slower and slightly more indulgent at certain yeah. points and um, when it breaks down about six minutes 30 it goes into that kind of tribal rhythm which you kind of heard in mm. a couple of songs ago but also with some really wild guitar feedback yeah. that's before the before the guitarists go mental I really like that I, lo- I love hearing feedback and stuff like this because it gives it a, a really brittle analogue live energy mm. you know I, th- I think that is something that you can be too sanitised in, in this kind of stuff sometimes I think it's something that Lancome did really well leaving in little feedback and noises and sense of being in the room that those little imperfections actually make it more perfect yeah she does do some Kate Bush S vocals towards the end as well um, but no that's a great song and a really great closer and like I said very polite crowd very polite crowd <laughs> <laughs> you'd imagine Nick Cave's crowds are probably very polite but fuck man until I knew this was her opening for somebody else I thought this was her show because mm-hmm. it's spectacular and it's a big ensemble performance it's mm-hmm. a big band that she's got on this so I mean fair play to Nick Cave given his support act so much room on that bill like yeah. so, so much literal room on the stage and the time it takes to set that up and get it sounding as good as this mm. but also just so much room musically because as I said I mean these songs are far from cut short they're actually in some cases like 30% longer than their album versions and that's like that's amazing I mean going to see that show I mean it must be amazing to see Nick Cave anyway but to be able to see this before mm. it wow it's interesting because the, if an, art, if an artist like this is given an hour to play, right, and you've got so, so many songs that are so long, you, you, I guess you must be faced with the with the option of cutting a song down from the original version or making the original version longer <laughs> to fill up time because you can't fit one of them in. Yeah, you know what I mean. So you, you can have to make a call if you're going to do it. Maybe we'll jam this one a bit more. Is he that? Are we finished? like 10 minutes early yeah. and the only songs we have left that I want to play are 15 minutes long mm. um, but given that kind of jam band it does they, they clearly don't jam on stage right but they've obviously jammed out in the studio mm. I like that almost semi-improvised nature to there's it there's definitely scope yeah mm. to, to stretch certain parts and I hate improvis- improvisation really on stage I'm not a fan of jam bands like that but like this feels like it's worked down mm. so yeah I mean I'm, I'm curious in your thoughts about the record I really liked the record. I think it was really good. Um, I think picking a live album is probably controversial for this because it's not not ca- quote unquote canon really, but it's it's definitely the best representation of her. I think as an artist, 
Um, some of the songs don't quite land the, as well as they could, even even on Dead Magic. You always kind of feel as though there's a gear that they're missing that could only really be captured in a live performance. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether that's just any recording techniques or just kind of the feel of the day. I'm not sure or the day of the recording, but no, I, I really like this record and I'm I'm glad that I'm glad to listen to it. I think it's probably the best thing she did. It feels like the most consistent thing, but it's it's a live set. It's going to be hopefully a live set. It's consistent, right? <laughs> it's a massive compliment to any artist when. Debatably their best record is a live performance Especially nowadays I'm not trying to be all fucking like Boomerish and curmudgeonly about it But I, we've all heard really really good albums By performers in the studio Then going to see them and being like oh, They can't quite do it There's a lot of studio trickery in there A wee bit of auto-tune A lot of like different effects Making it sound I mean huge big reverberating fucking Performances that you're like, wow, that album's brilliant, and then you go and see it live, and you're like, shit, man, this is all in the computer. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. Anna von Hauswolf has shown that if anything, she's better in mm-hmm. person. And given the, the the ambition of what she tries to do, in particular with her vocals, but also in the songwriting, the fact that she's better at that live is fucking incredible. It's so nice to just stumble across an artist who shows that there is still a sense of craft in the industry. You know, and I, I know I sound fucking bitter and fucking whatever, but it is becoming a feature that there are people who just cannot fucking play. And she quite evidently can. And in fact, I hope, I think the challenge for her in future when she goes to do her next record is actually trying to make it as good as she is. Because mm-hmm. so far, I'm not having a dig at the producers, but so far, actually, they've probably not entirely done her justice. Yeah, I would agree. Mm-hmm. And, I and, agree. And so. There's something big waiting to happen for Anna von Hauswolf mm. if she gets that right combination of talent uh, with, uh, along with the combination of tracks. I don't think that the the last studio album with the all organ thing needs to happen again. I'm sorry. It's not great. It's fine. It's a fucking ambient track. I'm sure it gets a lot of people nodding their heads in monorail. Yeah, it's cool. There's a place for it. But fuck me, Dead Magic is a brilliant record and there, there's bound to be another one of those in there. Mm-hmm. I agree. No, I think I'm totally right. Great. Well, I'm really pleased. There we go. And uh, we didn't draw a Nexus last week, Mark, but I just sort of texted you and I was like, well, I picked last week's Davy Davy Hammer. And um, mm-hmm. so uh, this was yours. Nexus. Nexus. complicated series of connections between different things. And Mark, talking about cracking names. God, this guy's name. You want, you want to say his full name for us? Uh, shit, I don't know if I have his full name down or just... Uh, just... Jean-Christophe Louis Ferdinand Alberic Napoleon Bonaparte. Yes. Uh, <laughs> A.K.A. Napoleon the Eighth. The Eighth. <laughs> so we're going to take Anna von Hauswolf to Jean-Christophe Louis Ferdinand Alberic Napoleon Bonaparte. The disputed heir of Napoleon. Oh, heavily disputed? No, well, his dad, so basically his dad was never... I'll explain it a little bit in my next. Right, okay. Well, uh, I'm first seen as Anna Van Housewolf was my choice, and my nexus is going to feature a certain familiar ingredient. 
Nazis. <laughs> you know it. Uh, so Anna von Hauswolf's dad, Karl Michael von Hauswolf, is a famous multidisciplinary artist, um, mainly, as we said, doing weird audio and trying to fucking capture the sounds of fucking ghosts on radar or whatever the fuck it is this dude actually does. With a shoe. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> a dead man's shoe. Um he also met with controversy in 2012 when part of an exhibition of his work at the Martin Bryder Gallery in Lund was revealed to contain the actual ashes of Holocaust victims taken from the Majdanek concentration camp in Poland. The exhibition was promptly pulled in December of that year. Mm. How would you not know that? <laughs> well, apparently he thought that was fine. Um, so that camp... Uh, I'm saying Majdanek, it could be Majdanek, I don't know how to pronounce Polish words, uh, was first utilised by the Nazis and then later by the USSR for the detention and punishment of thousands of people. Um, the Camp Museum says that 78,000 people, including 59,000 Jews, died there. However, other estimates by a number of researchers go well above that. I mean, some of them going over 300,000 for that one camp. Um, the current figures are deliberately conservative to reflect the uncertainty about the record keeping on the trains that brought people in that were used by the Nazis as the war went on, especially in the later years. And that's ultimately the world we live in because, you know, you have to potentially make six figures worth of dead people vanish because some fucking cunt out there will use it as an excuse to claim the Holocaust was a hoax. Um, but yeah, either way, even at the low end of those estimates, it's horrendous. The camp was the last resting place for one particular German painter and sculptor, a guy called Otto Freundlich. He died on the day of his arrival at the camp on 9th of March in 1943. Now, Freundlich's sculpture, uh, or one of his sculptures, Der Neue Mensch, uh, which means the new man, uh, was part of a famous, or should we say infamous, 1937 exhibition in Munich known as... Uh, Entartete Kunst, which means degenerate art. Um, the sculpture is basically a huge plaster head that's reminiscent of like almost a cubist reinterpretation of the Easter Island monuments. Mm -hmm. um, it's quite tall, I think it's a couple of metres high. Um, and in fact, that work, a picture of that work, was the cover image of the official uh, degenerate art printed programme. Uh, that the Nazis handed out um, that exhibition gathered together the works of a huge number of artists deemed uh, to represent the degenerate nature of some parts of society both within Germany and especially uh, with, out with Germany in the USA um, the Nazi party were clearly behind that uh, I think this exhibition came up before because there was one particular really fucking racist uh, image of a, a black American jazz musician that was used in it I think that came up in a, a previous nexus. Anyway, Freundlich was, when he was younger, he'd, he'd moved from Germany to Paris at one point and then on to the Pyrenees, I think. And he was originally detained in 1940 as a German national during the outbreak of war. He was released, however, after an intervention on his behalf by his friend and admirer Pablo Picasso. Mm before being unfortunately re-arrested in 1943. I think he was denounced by somebody. Uh, and the the Vichy government, that awful fucking quizzling fascist regime helmed by Philippe Pétain, uh, deported him to his death in Poland. Around about 1930, uh, talking about Pablo Picasso here, uh, around about 1930, Salvador Dali started, uh, but presumably never finished, a work called Portrait of Picasso. Uh, Picasso was one of his idols as a young artist, and that 
that image. It's like a it's like a very detailed pencil sketch that he started to paint, but then has stopped around about the collar for some reason. Uh, in true uh, apocryphal artistic style, Dali is said to have declared to Picasso, I have come to see you before visiting the Louvre, to which Picasso replied, you're quite right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 which is that totally ambiguous, urbane sort of humour in that bon vivant, sort of sophisticated cultural style that only Stephen Fry would get, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're so witty. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, in the work, Picasso, uh, in the drawing, he is carefully rendered in the guise of an emperor. Uh, to be specific, a certain French emperor called Napoleon Bonaparte, um, whose descendant might... Probably is. It is. Almost definitely is. Jean-Christophe Louis Ferdinand Alberic Napoleon Bonaparte. Bunch of, bunch of really good dudes that are in your nexus. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, so, Anna von Hauswolf is a musician from Gothenburg, as or Gothenburg, uh, uh, from Sweden. Gothenburg, along with the rest of Sweden, is ruled by the House of Bernadotte. Do you know about this? Not much. Really interesting, I think. So the House of Bernadotte is the royal family of Sweden and it's been the royal family of Sweden since its foundation in 1818. Um, it was also the royal family of Norway between 1818 and 1905 and its founder, uh, Charles the 14th, John of Sweden, uh, was born in Paul in southern France as Jean Bernadotte. Paul, Paul, Paul. Jean Bernadotte had been made a general of division and ministry of war for his service in the French army during the French Revolution and he became the marshal of the French Empire and the Prince of Ponte Corvo under Napoleon. He was adopted by the elderly King Charles XIII of Sweden who had no other heir and whose uh, branch of the House of Oldensburg was basically going to go extinct unless he, had Aye, unless he an heir. found yeah. an heir. Yeah. So following the conclusion of the Finnish War in 1809, Sweden had lost possession of Finland and Sweden was kind of, the eastern half of it was kind of gone essentially. It, mm-hmm. became, it became what was Finland. There was resentment for the king at the time and uh, his son Gustav Adolf was deposed and uh, Charles XIII was then elected as the king in his place. However, he was 61 years old and he was senile um, and because he was childless... Um, yeah, mate, he could still be president yeah, for exactly. another fucking 20 um, odd years, right? <laughs> so when it became apparent that he wasn't going to have an heir, uh, Swedish branch of the house, Holstein Gottorp, would, was going to basically die with him. So the Swedish parliament in 1810 decided that they wanted to elect a Danish prince. By the way, this, the is, king. See, this is going to be amazing at the world's... Worst pub quiz. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, Prince Christian August of Augustensburg became heir presumptive to the throne, um, but he died. Uh, so Jean Bernadotte basically married Charles's uh, daughter and then became the king, <laughs> the king of Sweden. That's all right, which yes. is fucking wild. And that's when he fucking became hell. Charles the Thirteenth, and his lineage is still who is in charge of Sweden to this day. Jinx, which is wild. Um, and as you've said, um, Jean Christophe. Prince Napoleon, as he's known, as the son of Prince Charles Napoleon and his first wife, Patrice. Isn't it fucking interesting that um, he works with uh, an investment companies? Yeah, so he went, I think he, did he go to Harvard or something and studied, studied finance he speaks there. three languages yeah. and works uh, with, was it called, Bla- uh, there's, a, there's a property company as well, Blacksome. They're quite controversial because they were Blackrock. They were basically turfing people out their houses and also had some other dalliances with uh I don't know, uh slavery. <laughs> <laughs> you know, fuck. The kind of thing you just do when you're a big company that you're like, oh accidentally used child labour somewhere. 
So um, the reason I came across this guy is because I, I originally said Napoleon III to you. He did. Um, he is a direct descendant of Napoleon III. Um, Napoleon had a kid who was Napoleon II. As you will know if you've been mm. to see the film. But he never made it to power. So Napoleon III did make it to power. He was actually the last ruler of France, the last emperor of France. And obviously throughout the lineage of, of that family, Jean-Christophe's granddad, Louis, um, he died in 1997 and he stipulated that he wished his 11-year-old grandson, Jean-Christophe, to succeed him as the head of the Imperial House of France rather than his dad, Charles. <laughs> well, so that's why it's disputed because some people say that, well, it should obviously be Charles because he's the, he's the, like he was the heir, right? But everyone's like, well, no, his granddad, basically Louis Napoleon said, no, my grandson is taking it and not you. And in fairness, the rest of France doesn't get a fuck. Yeah, I mean, so I so Napoleon is descended. I guess the Napoleon the line of descendants are like the last kings of of France. There's yeah. never been one since Napoleon the Third. Um, and yeah, their house they, they, they hold no like power at all. Like they're not even remotely clo- close to the halls of power in in, in France. That Prince of all Napoleon guys uh, related to. King Billy as well. well yeah, Prince of Orange, aye. Yeah. From, mm-hmm. yeah, that could have true. been a whole other angle to the Nexus. Yeah, it could have been a whole other... Back, right back, right back to the start. The yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and Napoleon but, had his fingers in all the fucking pies, mate, so... Okay, doke Well, that was good. Um, pleased that went well. We've got a couple other things coming up. We don't actually know which one will land first because we've got an interview and we've got a wee fun mixtape and then we also have potentially another interview. So we'll just have to wait and see how the scheduling turns out here mm-hmm. in which we can get edited on time because we want to try and stay regular given that last wee break. So we're not going to tell you what's coming next week because we might be wrong. Yeah. Um, but whichever one it is, it's going to be good. Yes. And we are accepting suggestions, uh, questions, insults, whatever you want. As ridiculous, as serious, as uh, insulting or as fun there are no holds barred I'm actually really game for some proper like hardcore questions but mm-hmm. I'm also uh, really game for some fucking nonsense yeah especially for part three so please get those into us um, we will try and use it so if you're listening to the show and thinking ah, they'll never fucking use it we'll genuinely try and we use will, it we will use it and if you're listening to this podcast on Spotify there's actually a Q&A section underneath the episode on the app where you can ask your question so yeah, just drop it do it on any platform any platform honestly but, yeah. we really do want to hear from you we know from uh, our wrapped that there's a, a number of people listening to this show that have never asked us a question seriously just fucking do it it'll be great yeah so looking forward to hearing them right we'll see you next week bye You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.